You really want me to say ho, 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 ho. <laughs> if I had one Christmas wish, it would be an annual adventure. Something I never experienced before. I am hoping that this Christmas is extra special, unlike the others. <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas, Worcester in the world. Uh, happy holidays to everybody. Um, this is the Christmas edition of 508. I'm Julius Jones. I'm Mike Benedetti. Also, we have Brendan Malikin here. Morning. The temperature where we are this morning on this Christmas episode is uh, 33, 34 degrees now. Climbing. It's warmed up two degrees this morning on this beautiful porch. Today we've got two top stories. One's about the Telegram Gazette. One's about green jobs in Worcester. The third, the third uh, story, of course, though, is uh, the Christmas time thing. We'll be talking about our Christmas gift guide. We'll be talking about other Christmas stuff around Worcester. Doing our Christmas show a little bit easier because uh, some of us have important life things to do in the next few weeks, <laughs> which we're not going to talk any more about and cannot be on the show. Um, so uh, I guess the, what do we got for little stories? The Buddha Hut Buffet is tomorrow. This is the monthly buffet to uh, help with Veg Worcester. It's from noon to six down there at Buddha Hut. Uh, people hang out at two o'clock in particular. If you want to meet some uh, vegans from around town, they go down there explicitly at two, but otherwise you can be peaceful and go another time. Stone Soup parties tonight, right? Yeah, six o'clock. Six o'clock, the Wu Church? Yes, sir. Uh, what is it, 911 Main Street? Six o'clock on. There's going to be a bunch of bands playing. Fundraiser for uh, Stone Soups. Getting a building Celebration back. Celebration of three, three years and getting the building back. Yeah, and the Stone Soup people still hang out, and they still have meetings. It's kind of awesome. I'm going to start sending out a monthly email, actually, on behalf of Stone Soup to say, what's the deal, what's the status of Stone Soup? Because I'm personally confused. So the only way I can find out is by being that person. The it's right confusing. Email. It's confusing. It's very confusing. Um, <clears throat> we wanted to talk about Winter Mystery Band is coming up. Yes, sir. Winter Mystery Band, uh, if you don't know, is the uh, winter incarnation of this wonderful thing that Worcester has called Mystery Band, where basically you put your name in a hat, and from that hat you get selected to be put into a band of four to six players. You practice for a month and then you rock a show, uh, usually uh, at a couple of the more active houses around Worcester. Um, and how do people, people who want to get their name on the list to get put into a band, how do they sign up? If you're on the go list, you can look for one of about a million emails that I've sent out <laughs> about it, as it was just pointed out to me. And if you want to email wintermysteryband at gmail.com, that is a direct sign up. And you just put your name, contact info, what instruments you play, and whether or not you have a practice space, and if you're willing to be the initial organizer or not. It's a good thing. It's more. It's a good process. If people have ever gone to a mystery band show, the shows are fun, but the process is what it's all about. Um, the, I think that the big story, the big story in five hundred eight land this week, is that the New York Times has decided not to sell the Telegram and Gazette. Um, th- there's been talk. They're gonna, I guess they're still going to sell the Globe, and uh, Boston Globe. And Times Company Chairman Arthur O. Sulzberger Jr. said in a statement. 
What has become abundantly apparent is that the TNG is making substantial progress in transforming every part of its journalistic and business operations. As a result, you are doing an even better job of meeting the needs of your readers and your communities in central Massachusetts. This, of course, has not been an easy year. Nevertheless, month after month, you have demonstrated a relentless determination and heightened focus. As you have implemented a complete redesign of the paper into a single edition paper, the transformation of the classified section into a more reader-friendly and efficient six-column format, and the creation of zoned weeklies to complement our daily newspaper, you have also created new products to offer to our commercial print customers in a new direct mail vehicle, TNG Direct. Um, and so this is like obviously, it's obviously not true that whatever the TNG has done in the last few years as far as like uh, becoming more uh, financially sustainable, it's obviously not serving its customers any better by running less editions, a smaller paper, et cetera, et cetera. So I wanted, so I wanted to know, since, since the stated reason is not correct, Brendan Malikin, what is your theory as to why the Times Company is hanging on to the TNG? Um, I have a feeling that it's, uh, while you're right, that nothing has changed from our perspective as consumers, I think it's been pretty clear that the, the New York Times company, their long-term strategy is getting back to basics in terms of very local news or hyper-local news, um, which they're doing in their own home territory through websites like The Local and whatnot, right. where they're spreading out into smaller communities, <clears throat> doing a lot of citizen journalism and getting back to really granular stuff that most people kind of overlook anyways. Worcester is actually probably a perfect testing ground for that, and I'm not saying that you know they probably have big plans to spread out further in that route, but they're essentially doing all exactly what they would like to be doing back in their home turf in New York. By I mean, when most people think of the New York Times, they think of this huge global paper. You know, right? I mean, they've got uh, you know news desks all over the world. It's it's this incredible operation. But what we tend to forget is it's still a local newspaper uh, for the people in the five boroughs. That's their Telegram and Gazette. Um, so while half the paper are these in entirely huge, well-fleshed-out breaking news stories from around the globe, it's really their coverage focus is, and in, in, it was intended initially to be on the five boroughs. So if, if their long-term strategy as a business is to kind of get back to that and monetize that local news, by letting go of the telegram, they would essentially be letting go a competitor who is doing exactly that uh, already. And, and again, as consumers, we would look at it and say, well, the TNG should be giving us more. But I think from their business perspective, the TNG is the foundation of exactly what they'd like to be doing in the long term, which is focused just on a specific uh, locale and trying to flesh up as many, flesh out as many local news stories as, as opposed to saying, you know, well, we need to be covering, uh, you know, the various wars throughout the world or, uh, you know, healthcare reform or what have you. I think they, they want to be focused more on what's happening on a local level. And if you dig around in the Telegram, especially in their web presence, the number of blogs that they have that cover the surrounding region and whatnot, it's pretty impressive, actually. I mean, they've got a lot of content there. We would then say, follow that up by saying it's not good content, but <clears throat> the framework is there for a very impressive um, hyper-local uh, news system if someone inside is willing to kind of focus on that direction and, and, and head down that path. So, I mean, they, they do have a great framework. And the other thing, of course, is I don't think anyone was offering them nearly as much as they paid for the telegram. Yeah, years if, ago. Somebody was, if somebody was offering them enough money, maybe it's this kind of thing where they say, well, it's not losing that much money anymore. I mean, it's, you know, it's making money. It's not that bad money-wise anymore, and uh, uh, yeah, pilot project. Why right. not hang on to it if it's reasonably profitable? And... If, it's, if it's mostly profitable at this point, or at least not losing them any more money, uh, they would obviously take a huge hit in, in the sale, and I, I think it's, it's probably going to end up being a pretty good testing ground for what they can do on a, on a local level, and hopefully the TNG can just pick, you know, uh, play that one out well. I want to I I give my Christmas present to the Telegram Gazette, which is that I want to give them the top four things that they need to do to fix the paper. 
these are the four easiest things to do to fix the paper. Number one, stop running the internet poll on the front page because people who don't know what it is are being deceived. People who know what it is are disappointed that you're deceiving so many people by running something that's not a poll in a poll format. Number two, have an RSS feed for Worcester News. This is incredible to me that they still don't have this. I've been complaining about this for years. Number three, um, use the title HTML element correctly so that it's easy to Google search for TNG articles. Yeah. It's like the anti-search engine optimization it on is. that website. Every page has the exact same title. It's kind of insane. Mm -hmm. um, and then number four, just have some sort of better commenting system that makes it so that people who are not ignorant racists can like, so it's also usable to both communities, the ignorant racist community and the non-ignorant racist community. Helps people sort of filter out the comments a little bit, give them some other affordances. Do you, Julius, do you have any theories about the Telegram or that? Um, no, no is an appropriate answer or an okay answer, but if you have a theory, I mean, go for it. I couldn't speak intelligently specifically about the TNG's problem. Um, the shift from, from online readership or to online readership from, you know, held in your hand readership, I feel like uh, it's something that we're witnessing a lot. And that <laughs> in hindsight, that sounds a little bit primitive, but, um, yeah. you know, it's true all the same. Yeah. Um, I think it's a shame that that even I don't go to the TNG, like telegram.com for my news. I always go to the big ones like newyorktimes.com or Huffington yeah. Post or something like that. Yeah. Um, and I almost never buy the paper. Hmm. Well, I wanted to actually ask you, so no, you, uh, get get to this question of green, the local green economy, because you and I were both at a conference. Did, did you speak at that thing, at the conference? You spoke at this conference a couple of weeks ago in Worcester about <clears throat> building a local green economy. And what struck me was that you had um, a number of people sort of in suit and tie people who were from big institutions who were able to say a little something and were sort of looking into this. And then the people who were doing the stuff were all much younger people they were all sort of coming out of nonprofits, and it's not that surprising to me that the, the, that in Worcester a local green economy might come out of the nonprofit sector because the city's all about education and healthcare. You know, there's a lot of people earning their living in Worcester working at a company which itself doesn't happen to be owned by a bunch of shareholders. This is just the way that things are being done. Still, though, it seems like the trend towards a local economy I read all about. People are like, it's going to happen. It's coming back. The financial crisis is making it more viable. The trend towards a greener economy is happening. People are saying there's all this stuff with possibly uh, you know, limits on uh, carbon emissions. As fuel, oil, as fuel prices go up or whatever, it's going to become more viable. It's going to become more important. But what struck me at the conference was that there's not really... There's not really a local green economy in the sense that, like, I feel like there's not a green auto body shop. That's my example. There's not. It, it, it's not gotten to the point where there's, like, sort of ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, the uh, all the things that you pointed out are true, um, but the with the credit crunch oh we should say by the way what you're why 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 you're a good person to talk about <laughs> julius is a good person to talk about local green economy works for the regional environmental council runs the community gardening program runs the youth grow program yes with, with, at, casey, burns, with casey burns and the youth grow program is a thing where kids um come in and raise food on vacant lots uh like they have serious farms and vacant lots if you saw that photo of me in worcester magazine looking like a, a bozo a couple months ago that was standing in one of the youth grow gardens and then they sell the food, like at the farmer's market, at the co-op, other places. So people are, this is like actual like cash cropping farmers, urban youth in Worcester. Mm -hmm. So that's, to me, is like, that's an actual local green economy. There's like someone actually making money. But again, anyway, but that's not. Yeah, the connection, the connection between a local green economy and a local food system is very strong. Okay. And people look to, to us for, you know, our opinions on it because we're on the ground level. Um, anyway, I sort of I sort of derailed you in the middle of your answer to the, whatever the first question was. The uh, <laughs> the the um, 
But so the green auto body shop, I feel like is an awesome example because I feel like a lot of people would be really interested in a service like that. And um, the trouble is that nobody really knows what that would look like. Okay. And Worcester isn't um, uh, probably isn't the forefront of of a testing ground for a lot of things other than right. you know owning a satellite paper mm-hmm. <laughs> um, in hyper local news. Yeah. Um, and then with the credit crunch, though, there was like if if you had the idea to start one, where would you get the money? You know, pretty much. So it's it not a good to. time for any economy, especially experimental stuff. Especially experimental stuff. Well, especially things like like an auto body shop that needs a lot of infrastructure, you know. So like yeah. you need a lift, and maybe you could revamp a, a old one, but you know, there's probably all this new technology that you would need. Um, but I think a local green economy isn't much more than people getting back to basics, you know, like mm-hmm. taking things that that we take for granted on an, that are delivered to us through our national systems, and recreating it to be local, like like food, um, like, like your services, like, uh, and then sort of, sort of adopting a philosophy that if it's not local, it's actually not, um, it's not healthy for anybody as much as it was before. Mm. So, and so you're saying in some ways the local green economy looks more like maybe more like a barter economy than a cash economy? Are you no. you make this claim? No? No, I, I wouldn't say... <clears throat> well, I, I think it has to be a creative mixture of all of these things. Okay. Um, and so, you know, like I said, I'm not really an expert on, like, economies. I just know what... I just know what I know, you yeah. know, from my work and... Well, you, that's from the thing. To me, that's what's important, is that you're actually doing stuff. Um, I would just like to see people think more about where they buy their uh, goods and services from and change their bottom line from, at least for a little while, from... Uh, from what's the cheapest to what's actually the overall best deal for yourself, your family, your your community, and the world. Um, in Youth Girl, we we had this idea to to um, frame the curriculum around personal to local to global. Right, mm-hmm. just trying to impart on the students and on the teenagers that uh, it's important to think about yourself about your city and about the world all at the same time with decisions that you make and I feel like that philosophy is um, would be at the crux of a, of a local green economy partially because you can't get everything that you need from 100 miles around you like it's it's impossible <clears throat> you know I always say that buying um, leafy greens from California in January is not bad but doing it in July and August when you can buy from just right down the street is a crime you know mm. it should probably be illegal on some level um and so just like realizing where you are in the world and then making adjustments accordingly mm. you know any thoughts I, on local green economy the, the only thing that comes to mind is that every time I, I hear someone talking about um green economies and the investment especially trickle down investment from the federal level uh, and somerville always seems to come up for some reason a lot of projects going on in somerville it seems to be more uh, training based as opposed to actually going out and creating an economy it's like the when people are discussing creating a green economy it seems that in a way that what they're actually d- discussing is creating um, either a job share or a, a training system so young people uh, can find the training in what is currently not a non-existent field yeah right so like solar panel installation or <clears throat> turbine building guy you know right. or the you know the auto body example it doesn't seem to be so much 
um, actually, you know, investing in companies that already have a business plan to go out and start, you know, retrofitting, uh, you know, energy systems or what have you. It seems to be more based on training uh, the next generation of, of laborers to be going out and being able to actually do uh, that work, which seems to be a different, because when you talk about, when you hear someone say a green economy, you think, okay, there's, you know, the new green economy stores opening up down the street where CVS used to be. <laughs> right, right. Um, but, and it does seem that in a way what people are actually talking about is taking advantage of, of federal and state grants to uh, get more into training to make sure we actually have the, the labor force ready for when that green economy store does open up down, down the street someday. But. I could be totally off, I don't know, but that just seems to be what I see when it when it, when it comes to uh, the, the kind of bigger discussion out there of, of what's happening in green economies and economies of scale, that it's more about training than actually getting businesses off the ground. I, I totally think you're right. Um, the, a lot of the a lot of the talk surrounding the local green economy has to deal with like, you know, developing programs to fit the the green funding that's coming mm -hmm. down from the Obama administration. Right. Um, but I'd like to hear more talk about like, I don't know starting co-ops and like making things cheaper for ourselves right. and and being in control of of where these things come from and um more more of what a smart person can do rather than the money that you can get right or the training that you can receive for for something that hasn't happened yet like what's going to happen right now yeah and well, let's get a buying group you know yeah. When you mentioned like local farming as well, I mean the thing that I, I always comes to mind is whenever I drive down by Beacon Street, right? You see all the old, you know, uh, board up factory buildings down there. All I can think of is like how great it would be if someone started indoor farming for micro, you know, uh, baby greens and whatnot year round. You know, it's probably something that's so far off that it wouldn't be. But if, if there are, if, if we know that there are houses all over the region that are efficiently growing weed indoors, then I can assume that we can grow spinach indoors as well too, right? I mean, it, it, I it's think the street price of spinach is less though. We have the technology though, is what I'm saying. But maybe it would be more if you know people would probably would probably on a certain level be willing to spend more for something that was locally sourced and available year round and and would was almost you know because it was grown in a, in a true factory environment that it would, the controls would be spectacular on it and whatnot. Yeah. It probably does have value. It's, I what if there was a? I just had a funny idea. What if there was like a local recall on weed? <laughs> like, <laughs> what do you mean? Oh, uh, you know, because there's you know there's poop in your spinach. I just watched Food Inc. last night. Uh, you know, I, I had to get it under my yuppie belt to watch Food Inc. And I did it. You know, and what if there was a recall on weed? <laughs> See, that thing where like so everyone who bought anything from Scott this week, just like <laughs> we'll take it back. Just don't recall. <laughs> That's that really tickles that, me. That really just gets right at me. That's probably Julius Jones closest that though. we have, though, to a local green economy on a large-scale distribution it's level farming, would be sure, yeah. indoor farming operations for, for weed, which, I mean, it's no secret that there are grows all over the place. You know, it's... Don't come asking me where they are. I'm just telling you that, you know, they're all over the place. I've heard. It's, uh, I mean, that that is exactly what we're talking about, though. I mean, that's indoor farming on a... a Pretty massive scale, and uh, it's profitable, and it's uh, it's providing a service that does cut down on a, on a hell of a lot of transportation. I mean, go back thirty years, you think of shipping you know weed from you know from the south of Mexico up to, to, to Worcester. I mean, that's we've come a long way. That's a but that's a huge cost and a, and a huge carbon burden and what have you. And here we are. We've got the, the, the people under the radar actually doing exactly what the government is talking about in terms of creating a local economy of scale. Mm -hmm. Well, from marijuana to Christmas, my friends, the other the other green tree. Um, uh, 
I'll tell you my holiday gift guide. Maybe these guys have ideas for holiday gift guide. My local holiday gift guide first. We're going to cut in a, a video here from Start at the Station, Big Worcester Arts Fest. Is this shirt? <laughs> Nick Perry, we're here at Start at the Station. How's it going? It's great. Are you vending your wares here? I'm trying. <laughs> how's it going? How, how's the holiday season treating you? Holiday season's okay. What do we have here? We have, right. we have some prints. Yep. Is there etchings? Etchings. We got some bottles, jars. Yep. Monkey. We got monkeys. We got more bottles. Down here some, we have some bottles hanging out next to one another, like friends. Down here we have some hex signs. Yep. Or Christmas ornaments, probably. They could be used really as anything. They could be year-round. Are these based on Amish hex signs, or where do they come from? Amish don't use hex signs. Pennsylvania Dutch use hex signs. My apologies. Yeah. Is it, are they Pennsylvania Dutch hex signs? Yes. Yes, they are. Very good. Very good. And uh, over here we have these wonderful shirts, <clears throat> which you didn't make, but the person who made them, who's right over there, doesn't want to be on the camera. So I'm going to ask you about these shirts. We've got a... They're Worcester t-shirts. Really? It's kind of a tradition. There's a three-decker shirt. Yep. We got a beautiful turtle shirt, sea turtle shirt. You said it's a Worcester tradition? Yes, to okay. make Worcester shirts, or to have Worcester pride. To have Worcester pride. Yeah. So these are like following in the footsteps of like the Paris of the 80s shirts. Oh, definitely. The various Turtle Boys shirts. These are less vulgar though. And they're, and the predecessor, uh, the uh, Worcester soccer shirt, which you can get at thrift stores. Is that, that's the king of the Worcester that's shirts? That's the king of the Worcester shirts. Because all Worcester people have those shirts. Um, just, just the cool ones. <laughs> just the in crowd, you know. Well, I'm hoping to see more of this stuff around, man. More of these hex signs. It'll keep the city safe from evil. More shirts. Keep the city warm. Keep uh, and clothed and lucky and um, and happy. Merry Christmas, Nick. Merry Christmas, Mike. And then the second thing would be, um, if you want to give somebody like a local Christmassy thing, I think you could, if you could make a donation to Park Spirit and earmark it for putting a live tree behind City Hall. I just Facebooked with Kate Toomey this morning. She said this is going to happen. It's mm -hmm. not on Park Spirit's website. It's not on Park Spirit's Facebook. But she says that you could give money to Park Spirit and say, this is for a tree. buy a real tree, a real holiday tree for City Hall. I have one question about the real holiday tree for City Hall, and I think it's a wonderful idea. Yes. What happens when the tree grows? You know, like 50 years from now, people are going to be stepping back and saying, what kind of jerk planted this tree in the middle of the common that people now is like trees. hanging over? Yeah. It'd be like well, if it, but you if know, it's well-maintained well and whatnot, I mean, it's... If, they if, have if foresters. It's... They can, you know, they can bonsai it, right? They can kind of keep it... They can, you can keep a tree the size you want. I just can't think of where, where it would be put. We just spent a ton of money on the common to make it look like, you know, just an open green space. Right. Taking a giant tree that we know is going to grow, and I'm just saying it's Worcester, and the possibility of someone forgetting to trim it every year, you know, is there. <laughs> and next thing you know, it's going to be hanging over Front Street and whatnot. And then people will be cursing us for donating to Park Spirit. Fifty years from now, we don't have to actually worry about it. We'll be dead and what have you. But it'll be a memorable. Yeah. By the way, I looked. I finally saw the artificial tree that you mentioned last week on the show. Did you see this artificial tree behind the video? No, terrible. It doesn't tiny. Look it's tiny and it's terrible. Don't. It's not shaped like anything tree-like. It's. I said last week. It's a big Don't, sex toy. All right, it yeah. is. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big sex toy. Um, Nicole, uh, what, what else do we have? Do you guys do you have a Christmas? Yeah, yeah. What's, I was, a, good, what's a good Christmas the, gift? The first thing that you, the first thing that came to mind was uh, getting a Paris of the 80s t-shirt mm. yeah. for someone. I feel like that's a pretty easy way out, but that would be a good present. Yeah. I'd appreciate that if they made it in my size. <laughs> <laughs> what else? For? I would like that shirt, but in a neutral color. <clears throat> I was going to buy one on Sunday, but they're all bright blues and reds and, and greens, and I, I'm not a very bright color guy I, 
I like my grays, you know. So if someone See, could, if you're watching this, if I could have that three decker shirt that you're wearing, but on like a, a gray, that would be. We're be putting rad. money in your pocket here. Um, anyway, Merry Christmas to everyone. I wanted to all wanted to mention uh, Nicole uh, sent us a comment this week, a pre-complaint about the show. Not enough Gary Rosen as usual. Gary Rosen's not on our show this week. Uh, and Brendan was mentioning that there was a snow day this week on the Rosen's Roundtable. No taping of Ro- Rosen's Roundtable. Apparently, uh, Channel Thirteen shuts down with inclement weather. So, so there you go. Um, the virtual assignment desk, Nicole did put up a virtual assignment desk, some suggestions for what local citizen journalists could, uh, could be looking at. Uh, also, uh, uh, Jeff Barnard today highlighted that Bill Randall is probably the only, who is not a journalist, is the only journalist in town who's covering sort of ongoing trouble in the low-income housing construction mm. market. Uh, uh, Jeff sort of pulling some of Bill's reportage together and reminded me that one problem I have with, with this kind of citizen journalism is that there's not somebody who's kind of saying, Here's where we are today, giving background, sort of pulling the story together. If you're following it on an ongoing basis, it's great, though. Are you good on time? No, I'm fine. Okay. Um, uh, the blog log, I, Worcester Magazine, we can talk about it next next time. A lot of trouble with Worcester Magazine. Uh, we should do what we should do. Last night I was talking to a friend of mine who is a, 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 an immigrant to Worcester from a tropical climb about the fact that herself and many people from tropical climbs not so aware of the importance of wearing a hat or gloves in the winter. Um, uh, if you dr- don't, you will die. If you don't, you will. So here's what you need to know. Here's our PSA. Your head, your brain burns something like a quarter of your calories, a third of your calories. Some amazing amount of your calories are burned by your brain. The You know how your hand gets cold and like blue, or your lips get cold and blue, as you now know that you've moved to Worcester from, from Central America or wherever? Your neck... The, the skin on your neck and the skin on your scalp cannot do that. There's no vasodilation of the capillaries there. So if your neck and your head get cold, your neck and your head get cold. The, the skin does not attempt to, to, to uh, do anything. So you got to wear a hat. you got to wear a hat on that thing. you got to wear a scarf. you got to wear a glove on your hand. And additionally, you lose up to 40% of your body heat at the top of your head. There you go. Julius Jones, ladies and gentlemen. Direct from the Bronx <laughs> to <Yes>. your home. <laughs> I, think, I think you can wear a hood, too. You know, a hoodie's fine. Yeah, that's a, a hoodie. This this is part of the conversation last night with actually people saying like those hoodies. I always thought that was just like a fashion statement, but it's like awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it keeps your head warm. I'm a functional thug. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Um, well, Merry Christmas, everyone. I think that that's the end of our show. Merry Brandon Christmas. Mellican. Merry Christmas.